Okay, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. How you doing? I give a shit. I give a shit. Everybody's in a good mood because it's going to be spring, right? We're starting to feel it. Spring always feels like hopeful, right? Especially right before spring. And then by the time you get into August, you're like, well, that's fucked up. It's fucked up. Anyway, so... um. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are we are 501C, which means that if you need a tax deduction, like you probably do if you're listening to the station, you're in that category, you could donate to us. But um, seriously, folks, it's a really great station. It's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. And we are planning, we are in the middle of planning an eighth anniversary party. So I implore you to sign up for the newsletter so you can find out about it. It's coming up like maybe like in a month, maybe in a month, maybe in like in a really short amount of time. And then uh, you could come and um, I guarantee it will be fun. No doubt about it. I, every party we've had has always been a blast. So, um, well, first of all, I have this amazing, we have a really special day today because I have this very um, intense guest and I'm dying to talk to him. His name's Pablo Elgara. He's a, uh, he's an a artist, a socially, um, I'm going to say, he is a socially engaged artist, and I'm going to t- we're going to talk to him in a second. But before we get to him, there's a lot to learn there. I'm very excited about this, guys. I just, but I wanted to give a plug. I want you guys to know about uh, my new friend Amir. Amir, I, why doesn't everybody have a name like Susan or Robert anymore? Fuck, I'm so bad at this. Amir Latif. Latif. Um, Anyway, I met him. He was, he's a trainer, um, at Green Gym. I needed to, I decided people go, go to the gym and use the weights. Okay. I don't care who you are, what scale. I started doing it because I read I need to, you know, and it's really good. So start doing that. And Amir took me through. I paid him a reasonable amount of money, took me through the course that I needed to learn. And now I can just do it on my own, but I, I wanted to tell you about him. He's great. So check him out at, what is this? It's L-F, this is like, uh, is it L-F-I-F? I-F-L-X-D-L-Y. So it's I-F-L-X-D-L-Y at Gmail if you want to just contact him directly or uh, that whole thing.org if you want to check out, you know, his schedule and his bio or if you just want to follow him on Instagram, same thing. And he is doing a uh, 420 stretching event at Ang- at Angel Noir, 247 Varrett Street, 10 a.m. Uh, on, uh, no, wait, it says 1130. 11.30, 4.20 Check him out. Okay, I'll put a link on on uh, the face my Facebook page so you can find him. But he's a really good guy, and he's like no bullshit uh, trainer, and he's got a really good attitude, and he's got a really good idea about fitness. You know, it's not like not stupid. It's not. It's not. He's got a really good i good good philosophy on it. 
So anyway, so now we get to Pablo. And before, I just want to give you a very, very, I got to stop talking because I really want Pablo to do the talking, but I'm just going to tell you about him really quickly. Hello, Pablo. Hi, Elisa. A pleasure to be here. Thanks did for I say me. your name? El, El, Elgara. 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 I did. I did. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just going to tell you guys, okay, really quickly about Pablo. Um, here's, here's the thing. Pablo is an artist, but he is, his body of work is, is so vast. He's not, he's like not a person. He's an entire category. His work has been described as socially engaged and he uh, is passionate about creating works that engage communities in local or global issues. He's an art. This is like just some of the things he does. He's an artist, performer, cartoonist, poet, writer, author of several books, advice columnist, lecturer, educator, professor, new school, husband, father. He can sing and write songs, which I just saw him do very recently at a great, hilarious show uh, called Untitled Live Performance. And um, he went to, he got a BFA at uh, Institute of Chicago. He's been, um, uh, worked at Department of Education for the Guggenheim and I think, and MoMA, right? Yes. MoMA, like he's had these really good jobs in the, in the art world at major institutions um, he has a PhD from Kingston University. Can you believe I got this guy in my show? Like he's really actually here. Um, and, uh, educator, yeah, Museum of Modern Art. Um, there's a really long list of awards. There's a really long list of places he's exhibited at, performed places that you've heard of. And, uh, um, so he's gotten awards. He's performed. Um, numerous, oh, he's been written about a lot, New York Times, all that stuff. And he's represented by Kent Fine Art in, in New York. Did I cover, how did I do? How did I do? I tried to make it quick. It would be exhausting for everybody to listen to all that. I know, I know, I know. So anyway, you, you know, you do your own research, guys. So anyway, it's so, it's so cool to have you here. So here's what I was thinking. Um, so, Pop, you you uh, your work takes an enormous amount of different forms, and it's coming like it's like your whole being seems to want to interact with people, and you want to put you want you have you have ideas that you want to impart and connect with people. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I I guess a mantra I've always had in my my work is that content should inform the form. Like it you start with an idea, uh a curiosity, a question, um a suspicion of some kind and then you pursue it and whatever shape it takes, um <clears throat> it's that 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 is what the the, the content will inform you. So sometimes mm-hmm. what I make um, I don't know what final shape is going to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, and sometimes it takes the form of a trip. Sometimes it takes the form of a phonographic record. Sometimes it takes the form of a, the creation of a fictional artist. Sometimes it's a, um, a dinner. I have no idea. You know, it, yeah. it, it just, yeah. it, it, you, you have to listen to where 
the content wants you to to, to take mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's why it, I cannot see myself as existing within a particular genre, mm-hmm. even right. though I have training with four specific mm-hmm. genres, so, you know, but um, mm-hmm. I I don't see myself in a particular tribe of mm-hmm. of uh, artistic making per se. Your, your output is so prolific. Like, how, are you really well, like, how do you do it? Seriously. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny. I, I when I was a student, um, I had and one of my first jobs. I was an intern in a museum, and my, my supervisor would tell me like, "Pablo, it's time to focus because you're doing too many things. Ah. You know, you're too scattered. You know, you you, you will never accomplish anything ah. if you do not focus." And he was right, but I still have not focused. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put a lot out there. Let's. Let's, you've had a lot, and I think you're, um, you know, personally, I mean, as well as I know you and your work, I think you're a very influential person in the art world. I do. Um, for, and, and for good, because you call the art world out on its, let's call it hypocrisy or in what it really is. You're very honest. You, you're not pretentious. You poke holes in the pretension. Well, you know, I am, I'm interested in human behavior, mm-hmm. um, and that's partially because of my training as an arts educator. You have to pay attention to conversations, to people's reactions, to people's mm-hmm. behavior in general, mm-hmm. so that you can help them have particular experiences. Uh, because of that interest in human behavior, uh, I I can't help I, over over the years. I could not help but notice like particular social dynamics. Mm-hmm. That will occur within my community, which is the art world, right? Mm-hmm. And how dealers treat artists, and how artists treat like non-artists, and how <laughs> curators treat um, de- collectors, etc. And like all these different um, types of dynamics that I that for the most part I felt um, I had to learn by myself. Many of these are unspoken. Ah, uh, yeah. So I yeah. wanted to like spell them out. Mm. And I often did it in a satirical way because, mm. of course, I come from a generation that learned from institutional critique and from artists mm-hmm. who were doing this kind of work, like Andrea Fraser and so forth. Yeah. Right? Um, but I, I wanted to do it in a way that um, I don't know. I, I would do it, do, do it my own way. Yes. So, so I, I, I often used satire. I often mm-hmm. use humor. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to do it in a constructive way. I wanted to do critique not by simply being a negative a critic, but but by proposing new paradigms or new new forms mm-hmm. of interaction, mm-hmm. which is what led me to social practice. Mm-hmm. I also think like you published books of cartoons. I mean, you and you're funny on stage. You use humor a lot, um, but I think it's a way of sort of. I think that you use humor in a in a way that sort of is very inclusive of having everybody kind of laugh at themselves because we're all you know we're all subject to whatever the art world dynamic is and we recognize it and it's funny yeah humor is a um it's a wonderful way of self-recognition uh once um um um, i I saw a lecture by uh, william kentridge i organized a lecture by by kentridge Mm. That where he said a really beautiful thing about humor, uh, and I, I hope I'm not going to botch his, his quote, but what he actually said, which was amazing, was like when you are 
let's say you are seeing a, like a shadow play with hands, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you see the hand making like the shape of a dog, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. it is, and you laugh, you know. And he says, when you're laughing, you're laughing at three things. You're laughing at the funny shape of the dog. Then you're, you're laughing about the way in which the dog was made with the hand mm -hmm. gestures. You know, you see the process by which this image is produced, mm -hmm. right? But also you're laughing at yourself because you're laughing at your own credulity. And it's just such a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. That we, that we are complicit with this game where we are, this fake image of a dog is being shown to us and we know it's false and we think it's cute and we laugh at the, at the thing, but we're laughing, we're laughing with the, the humorist right. with, with the artist right right so right. It, so humor in in that in that sense it's like a form of complicity right you right know? right well i think that's what is really kind of compelling about your work um is that it does it 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 does poke holes it does you know uh poke holes in myths and pretensions but in a way that is sort of positive which in a way just saying, hey, look, we're human. Look what we look what we're all doing, and it's very positive and inclusive. And I think I think it makes people, um, you know, more it, uh, more more open. It, it's a form of, of being critical of ourselves. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, and and uh, and poke fun at our own ridiculousness. You know, without being insulting. <laughs> right, right, right. A very, a very, Hopefully. a very uh, hard th needle to thread. But there's so much we have to get to. So you're from Mexico City. Yes. Right. And um, tell us, there's a couple of things I want to talk. These are all the things that I want to talk about um, that I think are related. I want to hear how you came to America. I want to hear about the project you did. I think it was one of your first projects. Um, about the where you went, where you crossed all of America in a at your moving pro your whatever. Um, you know what I'm talking about. What yes. is it called? It's called, it's called the School of Pan American Unrest. Right, and then I want to talk about the project you're doing with your brother too. So, so let's get going. I'm under <laughs> okay, a lot well, of pressure. This guy has guys. Listen, this guy has so much going on, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not even going to get halfway halfway there in an hour. So we got to get okay, going. Okay. Well, just to, just just to tell you quickly. So I am from Mexico City, um, born and raised there, and um, I grew up in a middle class neighborhood in Mexico City. My my family were um, all our musicians like professional, like wow. classical musicians, which they, is a weird thing in Mexico City to think. People, when, when you think Mexico, you think like the Virgin of Guadalupe and cactuses and and, uh, and maybe like Mexican food, but you don't imagine a, a, a quartet playing like a Haydn, which okay. is what I grew up listening to every single day. Wow. Like in, in, my, in my household, my sister was playing Bach in the morning. My, my brother was listening to Ravel and Debussy, and my other sister was like a... Um, playing cello, uh, rehearsing like a, like yeah, I don't know, like a sonata or something. So they were all professional musicians. Uh, all of professional musicians, yes. Wow. And and, uh, and your your siblings too. And the, yeah, and my dad, which is interesting, he um, he wanted to be a musician, but uh, my my grandfather um, wanted him to be a businessman and and keep the f the family business alive. Oh. Which was a we sold uh, toilets. Love it. And um, he sold um, 
uh, kitchen and bathroom supplies. Okay. Um, and, um, the, um, the entrance of our house, which was uh, the garage, essentially of like the house where we lived, he, he kind of retrofitted it to, to be more of a showroom. So you would enter into my house <laughs> and it will be, it will be like five toilets, you know, very Duchampian, in fact. And, and actually a display of tiles, which is very minimalistic, like solid wood. So uh, it's funny, like when I go back to my museum life and, and like, or, or my, my early life, I realized that I learned everything about museums in that showroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, like it was, it was all about display. Right. That's so, so weird. So I, that was my first, uh, I guess, my first exposure with modernism and conceptual art was like the, <laughs> the bathroom uh, uh, showroom of my, of my dad in, in, in Colonia, Naples, in Mexico City. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I had that and then like the music all day wow. at, at home. And, wow. then, and then books, and w- which was the other part of the family was like writers. Uh-huh. So, so you have we, writers in your family? A lot of writers. My grandfather wanted to be a novelist. He was a terrible writer, mm-hmm. but he collected a million books. He self-published a bunch of books. Wow. I was surrounded. You know, I am the last analog generation. Mm-hmm. I I am from a from a, um, I did not see a computer until I was maybe like twelve. Wow. Um, and my internet were books. Mm-hmm. Was the was the the the, the family library. You know, mm-hmm. and that's where I would do my homework. Mm-hmm. I would like try to like pull out encyclopedias and copy. You know, Remember, wow, whatever, I relate to that. To copy, you know, <laughs> you kids don't know what you're missing. <laughs> and the encyclopedias were, of course, all out, are all outdated. You know, because mm-hmm. I was oh. encyclopedias from like the 1960s. You know, which, right, right. Because you, know, you didn't have those door-to-door salesmen <laughs> like they do in America, probably. Oh, but, but anyway, so that's yeah. that's the context where I mm-hmm. grew up. You know, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to be a painter. I had this, I guess, ability to draw, mm-hmm. and um, and then I, I wanted to be, of course, you know, being a Mexican kid, being being a muralist. I wanted to be a Diego Rivera. Oh uh, yeah. Right? And my sister, who was in Chicago, who had married a Chicago musician, she had told me there's a school there that you you might want to apply to, and. I, of course, had my sights in Paris. I had, like, this romantic idea of, like, what an artist... I mean, I had a 1920 idea of what an artist... Well, the encyclopedias did that, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure. <laughs> and, and I would... So, but I thought, well, I guess Chicago is, like, you know, you know yeah, what I'm going to have to do. Yeah, she was right. She was right. She was right. She I had no idea yeah. that where I was going. Uh-huh. I was going to the School of the Institute of Chicago, which is a major, really important yeah, school. Yeah, really good school. And... um and furthermore, I once I get there, I get confronted by the culture wars, which were really? they were raging. It was like this 1989. Mm. Okay, this is right after my now friend Dred Scott had burned the flag in the, oh, in the steps Scott. of their institute, and wow. where he had produced a major work about the flag. Wow! Um, and um, we it was it was the time of Karen Finley and. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Andres Serrano and Robert Maplethorpe mm-hmm. and the like NEA. and the NEA to, like uh, I mean like, th- this was super powerful times yeah 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 and, and I was like I couldn't make sense of it I was like what's going on here and, what's and, wrong with these Americans and then of course all my classmates were making work about bodily fluids and oh yeah right. <laughs> I it was, it was, there was an obsession with the bodily fluids. A lot of tampons time. in that class. A lot of tampons. <laughs> lot, yeah, and more. You know? Yeah, and I can. Uh, we have college students that frightens me. So I had a. Um, it, it was difficult for me to to embrace that, but 
uh, at the same time, I was struggling with painting, which I thought I was a painter, and then I ended up like um, discovering performance art, and that changed my life. Yeah, what what happened? Well, I I was making these paintings that nobody liked. You know, they were like these mm -hmm. gigantic paintings, like shaped canvases, and my painting professors who were Chicago images. They were like they were great group of artists who were mm -hmm. inspired in pop, but they were um, making a, a very Chicago version of, of mm -hmm. pop. Let me ask you a question. Because your background had been just different, did you not have the same perspective? I mean, it was probably a good thing, but like they had all been, had these influences. Um, did you feel like you didn't have the same influences that yes, the other kids had? Yes, I felt had? I had a completely different. Yeah. I, I was brought up with a deep reverence for history uh -huh. and for universal history. You know, right, I was, I was right. Very world deep, history. For world history. <laughs> not American. Not yeah, I, so I was, I was yeah. kind of like bored. Like I, I felt yeah. that, that many of my classmates didn't share any passions at all. They were just interested in pop culture. And it was like, Seems I was a complete um, idiot in pop culture. I knew nothing mm. about, my, my problem is that I knew nothing about pop culture. Mm. You know, I knew nothing about rock. I knew nothing about wow. like you know sports. about rock music. I'm I'm a very ignorant of rock music. <laughs> oh, wow! I like, but because I was, it was like I brought, was brought up listening to Mozart. Yeah, you were brought up in an <laughs> intellectual environment. It was really crazy. You know, I mean, like mm -hmm. I was like so incompetent well, understanding the world. I think that's a superpower, frankly, because then you have more more deeper uh, perspective. But go ahead. But so um, all my classmates were also like interested in heavy metal and things like that. That were to me were so alien. I just what the hell is this? Um, that's hilarious. But I had I felt I had so many things to deal with, and I, I painting was so frustrating. I couldn't really figure mm -hmm. it out. So finally, I took a class that was called actually storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, with Michael Myers, who was a, a local Chicago artist mm -hmm. who is still around. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that changed my life because mm -hmm. I real I discovered what performance art was. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wow, anything can be a performance. Like mm -hmm. this hand gesture can be a performance. Like this putting like a little object in the corner is a mm -hmm. performance. Like anything can be a performance. Mm -hmm. And that blew me my mind, you know. And then I started making these like uh, tableaus, you know, with music and with like costumes and with my crazy canvases that then they were used as props and people love them as props. Mm -hmm. Did you perform or the, was it more of a like no, a then I start then then mm -hmm. I started performing and and the mm -hmm. writing texts and and then it, it started evolving into like more narrative pieces. Mm -hmm. But what I enjoyed was that it, that anything that, that the performance was not a it was not a genre that would like dictate a particular formal qualities, right? right? right. Like, it's not like you need to stretch the canvas and, and this is what mm -hmm. you do with this particular technique. Mm -hmm. It was totally wide open. It was wide open. And, um, and I just loved it. It was, mm. it was incredible to me, you know? So you felt like you but, really found yourself. So I found myself in that, in that moment at the same time. And I'll get to the Pan American project. Okay, no, 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 it's, it's, it's go okay. ahead. <laughs> um, at the same time, I um, I, I need a job, right? Oh, yeah. Because I I need to figure out how to like um, survive, right? Mm -hmm. And and I get an internship in a museum mm -hmm. in in um in the 
in the in the neighborhood of Pilsen, which is the, mm-hmm. the Mexican neighborhood of Chicago, mm-hmm. one of the Mexican neighborhoods of Chicago, and um, and there was a tiny museum called the Mexican Fine Arts Museum that hired me to be an intern there in the education department. And what, because they noticed that I was doing performance, they thought that I would be good at organizing conversations or panel discussions. Mm-hmm. So I ended up becoming a public programmer, which is a very oh. rare um, oh, wow. kind of like aspect of the education department in that museum. Oh, wow. That's great. So I ended up doing that for 29 years. Wow. In, in the maybe seven different museums. Wow. You know? Wow. Because you really curious about what people think and you want people to share with that's great that's a great service we need more of that yeah so um uh, i learned a ton about art and then Mm -hmm. and the museum inadvertently for me became kind of like my studio like a place or like laboratory where i was observing people right i mean I, i i ended up Working in museums like the MCA, which was a museum of contemporary art in Chicago, where I read, ran the public programs there. Wow. Then I got a job at the Guggenheim when yeah. I did the same thing for seven years. And that's how you came to New York. They hired you, right? And they hired me at the Guggenheim and then at, at MoMA. Exciting. That must have been so exciting to come to New York to work at the Guggenheim. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I mean, yeah. it was, uh, being in Chicago, I always felt, you know, I, I was, we always were bringing artists from New York and I always right. felt that. That must have been amazing. That, that how old were you? I was 27. Ah. So good. It was really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so I continued with these conversations. And, and then um, now to get to the part that you were asking me. Oh, wow. Um, what I also noticed as also as a Mexican immigrant as a Latin American was I started noticing the, the, the cultural dynamics of people who were from the Americas, from Latin America, and how we felt connected culturally by language, by culture, by many other things, you know, and... Um, and I started thinking more about what really connects us as Americans. Mm-hmm. And during that time, uh, the whole notion of the European Union was really important. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, was, was still like, considered very strong. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know that now the notion of the European Union is kind of discredited because of various reasons, but, but we, but we also, Acknowledge that how important yeah. it is, you know, sure. to, to, to be integrated. And my question was really, why, why are we not integrated in the Americas? And why, why is this American hegemony so powerful? And I, I wanted to explore the notion of Pan Americanism, which was, a, which was an idea from the 19th century that, mm-hmm. that existed in Jefferson's thought, as well as in Simon Bolivar's thought, who was the, uh, the liberator of South America. Right, because we think of like we think of like South America, and we think of even Mexico and Canada as like completely different countries, almost like they're different continents. But we're all on the same continent. Well, Mexico is North America, which is interesting. is it? <laughs> Look how ignorant. Well, I yeah, am. well, North America, North America is Mexico, Canada, and the United States. I didn't know that Mexico. Well, Jesus, and, and there the other, you go, folks. You know, in order to blow your mind, too, like the name, the official name of Mexico is the United States. Oh, it, really? It's, it's the United States of Mexico. Oh, oh that's Unidos so Mexicanos. funny. That's so funny. But do you see what I mean, guys? Like we we don't think of the Americas as one unit. Like it's amazing. Go ahead. So I then at the time, Creative Capital, the, the yeah the, big the, organization, had, had just more or less started, and I 
I was broke. I had just quit my job at the Guggenheim because I was like tired of the museum and mm -hmm. work. And I applied for these grants and I wrote like the most like, I don't know, hallucinogenic grant where I, <laughs> I, I basically claimed I was going to drive from Alaska to Chile you wow. know, to do this project. And um, little did I know, I actually got the grant. Wow. You must have I, been like. I was, I was, I was, I remember I was very sick then the day I wrote the grant. Oh, really? I was like, had a cold and cold was like feeling something. like shit. And right. Yeah. Anyway, I write this grant and they submit it thinking I was never going to get it anyway. But the, the grants as narratives, like to me are inspiring to come up with a crazy idea. Right. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> now I have to do this. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? And, and I was like, and I hate driving. I, I, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot stand. That's hilarious. It must have been how Trump felt when he won the presidency. Now I have to be the president. I don't even like being, I don't even want to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like now, so you must have been like, no, wow. I, mean, I, I have horror driving. Really? And then wow. I had to drive 20,000 miles. 20. And were you doing this alone? Yeah. Wow. Well, because Can I ask well, I mean, how much money did you get? Oh, the, the grant at the time? Did it pay for everything? Well, I mean, I mean, it sounds like a ton of money, but it was like maybe $30,000, but... 30000 <laughs> That does sound like a lot of money. But, but you know, yeah. I mean, this is a project that lasted five years, okay? Oh, wow. And and also, it, it, it I had to build a schoolhouse. I had to I had to purchase a van, and I had to pay for gas for 20,000 miles. So that, right. That, no, I get it. I get it. I mean, that's I, a huge I'm, undertaking. That's it like was, it was. It doesn't even cover like half of it. So it's like a whole a whole lifestyle change. Oh yeah, I have to like whole dedicate life my life completely to this thing. Yeah, where you? That's so crazy. And uh, and um, no, it was it was insane. So you really drove from. Tell, tell uh, so me. I purchased a van from an electrician in Anchorage. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a Chevy cargo van so you started in in honestly i'm gonna we we have to get the everything so you started so i'm gonna try and we're gonna condense this um so um you bought a van in it you started in alaska in anchorage yes yeah and and then what was your goal you were gonna drive to chile and what was i was gonna drive all the way to the tip of southern tip of argentina so Which you were going to drive from the northernmost part of the Americas to the southernmost part? Yes. Is that the goal? And what was your, what was your, what were you going to? Well, the, the idea was to, to drive the entirety of the Pan American Highway, which is the largest highway in the world. It's the longest highway in wow. the world. It's, it's like a, it, it's, it's a continuous, I mean, it's, it's essentially a continuous road that is really more like the, the, the interconnection of different highways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But those receive the name of the Pan American mm -hmm. Highway, and so this that was is the pre GPS. Pre GPS, okay. Yeah, you could have MapQuest, but that was like really a little clunky. You would have to print the map, yeah, and then use the map to like yeah. follow the. I mean, it was really crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is before social media. This yeah. is before Facebook or Twitter or I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Facebook existed, but so, no one used really. Used so you it. were driving this whole thing by yourself, and what were your? What was your goal? What was the idea? The idea was that to every city, I would find the host, uh, prearranged to find like a little art center or something that will receive me. We will have a conversation about something that a topic that they chose connected to their city or to their country. Uh -huh. 
um, then we, we would do a workshop and do a perform a collective like act. We would write a, a Pan American speech together, mm -hmm. and then I would um, drive to the next place. Mm -hmm. So, what were you? What were? What kind of uh, experiences were you accumulating? Oh, it was incredible. Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, but first, first, I mean, I so I was carrying this collapsible schoolhouse that uh, was kind of like a giant yellow mm -hmm. tent with a bell, and where we would run it, kind of like a like an art center, basically. So I would have to erect the schoolhouse wherever I was, and then have the conversation, the workshop, and the performance, uh -huh. and then move on to the wow. next place. So how many stops about did you make? Like. I must have made around twenty, around thirty stops, mm -hmm. like official stops. And what did you get out? Of, did you learn? What did you learn that you didn't know before you went in? Like, what did you learn about humanity and about the Americas? I know, I know, we're trying to sum this up, it's, but it's it's it's, it's really difficult. Impossible. But I mean, what I how did thing, that influence you as an artist? I think that's well, what I kind of want to know. But first, like uh, one one thing that I realized, I discovered, is that we are not that different. Mm -hmm. I mean, this sounds like a completely like kind of frivolous thing to observe but no. but i was no. i was stricken by how similar mm -hmm. conversations were in a place like um in the mountains you know or, or like a place like anchorage mm -hmm. uh, in like the sonora desert or in ushuaia which is like the idea notions about being remote being marginalized mm -hmm. and being forgotten were common um the mm. cultural dynamics between cities were common Mm -hmm. um, the legacy of colonialism, of course, mm -hmm. is very important. And mm -hmm. also of the North-South relations. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these were common themes. That, that you got to internalize. Did, yeah, must, and, and you know, I was, I was coming to these places as an educator, with my training as educator to kind of generate debates, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes that was hard because people saw me sometimes as this external agent, like for example in Venezuela, I mean I, I get there right in the amidst uh, Hugo Chavez's second election re-election. Mm, wow! This is a time when that Chavez has already completely controlled of the country, mm -hmm. where this this whole um, authoritarian regime he's uh, he's created is basically now fully in place, and uh, he has actually taken in the whole idea of Pan Americanism of Bolivarianism as a rhetorical device to to create a new world order mm -hmm. where he's at the, where Venezuela's at the center, which of course was really problematic for a lot of people. So people saw my project as also problematic in that sense. It's like you're coming to us to talk about the integration and look what he's doing with these ideas. You know? So they thought it was sort of like hip maybe hypocritical or too little or well, naive. Naive. Yeah, I could see what you um, <laughs> at some time at some time Kind of. People saw me kind of as, as like this American invader. Yeah, even <laughs> because though. Because, of course, here right. I, I'm an artist from New York. And, like, of yeah. course, there's also a lot of animosity toward that, the elitism of New York. Right. New York well, like, world, you know? I can, all, in all fairness, I can see how somebody in a remote place or, you know, somebody who doesn't know who is not educated about art could see it as frivolous. And I, but, I don't think I mean, it's not. I know it's not. But, but you know, the second thing I also realized was that New York is really not that important for the but, majority of people. Yeah. Or, or like the art world is not even yeah. that important. It's like yeah. they, nobody really cared. Yeah. You know, and um, whether I was an artist or not, it kind of mattered less and less. The, so the, the more south I went, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. 
And and also the the whether the project was an artwork or not also started mattering less and less. Huh. I was just basically this guy who was driving from Alaska. Wow. Uh, and it didn't really matter how you called it. Right, right, you know? right, right, right. And did did you have a final result for it, or did Creative Capital get anything? Or well, the project became this uh, gigantic archive of, uh, of hours and hours of video mm-hmm. and thousands oh, of photographs video. and uh, mm-hmm. texts. Yeah, it's heavily documented. Mm-hmm. And where is it? Is it on your website? Um, there's a web. There's a website. For it on the, your website. There's a web, there's a Pan American School of American Unrest website. Uh huh. Um, okay. That you can see the what was what what I call end up calling the Pan American Diary. Like mm-hmm. I was kind of acting like a journalist. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I will have a blog mm-hmm. because at the time mm-hmm. that's how you right. did things. You, know, right. you just have a blog, and then where where every day I will have to write a report of what happened. Oh wow. So day 25, I'm in Guatemala, <laughs> and this is what's happening in Guatemala right now. Did you know? it get exhausting? Did you get lonely? Um, it got really difficult. Um, I, I don't know if it's the loneliness. It was, to me, the emotional exhaustion yeah. of, of dealing. I mean, like, there were things that I was not prepared to deal with. And mostly, one of the things that were difficult were the the... the the border issues going mm-hmm. crossing the border by foot is really taxing emotionally and physically by foot well but like well i was driving but you know oh, you, right. you will be on the ground right in this right. kind of like sometimes like nowhere land you know oh yeah that um, could be crazy i was subjected to tons of extortion and oh, abuse, wow. and it was, it was very difficult wow um I also was, I mean, I observed a lot of poverty and, and suffering from people. Yeah. That was also difficult. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just there to document. I'm, right. I'm not there solve with, the, with the means to kind of right. solve people's problems. Right, right, right. So I, I always try to keep like um, a firewall, I suppose, an emotional right. firewall. But it was, right. became harder and harder as right. I went down. Right. And, and it, it, I also like was unable to really address my own needs. Needs, yeah. So toward the very end, when I was in Argentina, I was I was I was uh, in a very deep state of depression. I, I'm sorry. I mean, it's not funny, but I mean, it's it's so remarkable and must in the big picture must must be so rewarding for you it was, to have had the experience. Yeah, I mean, it was um, mm-hmm. what what it what it showed me. Oh, it was an endurance project for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, but uh, to have a perspective of humanity is to get in a perspective is like yeah. I mean, so it, 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 that project is really like a um, I don't know. It's 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 just like a snapshot of a moment in the Americas, mm-hmm. and this is in two thousand and six. So you started talking about this project that you were doing with your brother, and your brother are doing about your brother, and your brother sounds like a really huge influence on you, and a very rare rare sort of influence for a child to grow up with. And I wanted to hear more about that. Yeah. So my brother was a, uh, his name was uh, Luis Ignacio Elguera. Mm-hmm. He was a poet and a philosopher and he was nine years older than me. That means that when I was 10, he was 19. Mm-hmm. And also when I was a kid, he was already in university, in university mm-hmm. and he was also very precocious. And, um, and he, at the time was really into philosophy. 
and we you know shared a room you know share, we were together all the time and it was interesting because the, our games and our, our and, and his intellectual interests kind of all merged so he would just like read me stories as if they were like fairy tales mm-hmm. of like I mean, this is going to sound crazy to people, but he would read me, like, talk to me about Plato and Aristotle and so, and Trumpel uh, Sartre and uh, Camus and Heidegger, who was his obsession. When you, you were, like, 10? I was, like, 10 or 11. Wow. He would be like, do you know what, do you know what, what Heidegger said about the da sign? No. And, and, oh, he'll say <laughs> that no, to you. I don't know. That's asking, a lot. He would ask, ask me questions about, like, you know, uh, St. Thomas the Queen, Aquinas and, and St. Augustine about ideas of memory and being and death and and uh, he made me read like like a, ma- many different like writers and uh, novelists mm-hmm. and and that was to me normal like but it was normal for have, me to as a 12 year old to actually know no, these things that's amazing that that he what i'm thinking is it's amazing that he got you know got you to do it like you must have really respected him or you must have like how how did you process that how, what made you Go along with it. Well, I mean, when you have an older sibling, you know, they become your role model, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, they're, really much, they're much more Not older. always. Not always. Not always, yes, but. Um, he but was in, in, for in, you, for sure. In, in my, yeah, I mean, I, uh, it was, it was fun. It well, was, what it was, about him? There were other brothers. You, there were four I, I have, of I have, you? I have two sisters who are musicians, mm-hmm. who I love. Of course, they're fantastic. Were you the youngest? Uh, I was the youngest. Yeah. I'm the youngest. Yeah. Um, what happened was my brother passed away. Mm, he sorry. he had an accident. And it's actually almost exactly 20 years ago. Oh. You know. Um, and um, what's interesting is I, I I was the artist. In families, usually yeah. what happens with siblings is like somehow thing, the way things get rearranged is like oh, you're the artist, you're the writer, yeah. you're the music. You're like, you, you, right. People get jobs yeah. or, right. Role, right. or roles, right? Roles. You're yeah. the one who cooks, you're the one who organizes, you're the one who does this or that. Anyway, I was the artist. I was the, like, mm-hmm. but like the cartoonist, you know? Mm-hmm. And my brother was a writer and mm-hmm. I had never written uh, mm-hmm. or I never saw myself as a writer. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, the year after he passed away, um, a friend of his told me, like, oh, we're starting a little, like, publishing uh, company, editorial imprint here in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Do you want to write something about art? And I told them, like, I would love to write this, like, uh, etiquette manual for the art world. Oh. You know, like, we'll tell you, like, who to sleep with and, oh, that's and how to how to talk about the work the, of your friend if you don't like the work. <laughs> <laughs> and... um so I wrote this book called uh, the Pablo Elguera Manual of Contemporary Art Style, mm-hmm. which is my, was my first book. Mm-hmm. It was it's a it's a social etiquette manual for the mm-hmm. art world. <laughs> so it tells you how to write a press release. It tells you how to like um, how, what is the social choreography that you have to follow in an opening, mm-hmm. and so forth. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a joke, of course. It was it was in in the style of uh, Ambrose Bierce' The Devil's Dictionary, mm-hmm. and of many other books of that nature. And um, but it, it, it was it was humorous, but rooted in real truth. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and also drawn from my observations as a museum employee, mm-hmm. right? That of the things that I lived every single day right. that I know you, exactly. You were right. I mean, like it's like decades of observing curators and mm-hmm. and, and artists, sure, and dealers, and mm-hmm. like in in all sorts of social interactions. And, and you wrote that a long time ago now, right? Is it still? And it's probably still pretty relevant. 
um, yeah, yes, things, it, cha- things have not changed much. I it's bet. true. It's true. It's, it was written. It was published in two thousand and five originally. Mm-hmm. And you know, interestingly, I wrote it in Spanish. Mm-hmm. You know, which is also weird because. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, you don't think uh, you, of would, that you will as wonder. You will wonder how is it going to play in uh, in that our world, but right. interestingly, it it functioned perfectly in both. What happens is in the art world. Um, you mean in English and Spanish? Yeah, in either language. You had it. Basically, the, the social dynamics of the art world are universal. Uh huh. Yeah, I believe and, that. And it has. I, I mean, I have observed it constantly. Like now, uh, like recently, a, a second version of what I do now. Or these cartoons that we can talk about in a minute, but mm-hmm. um, a, a gallery from um, Ramallah uh, contacted me to have been a show that they are organizing about the art world, and they wanted me to, to submit some of my work that deals with these things. And I told them, like, you know, I I don't know if people are gonna understand it because what I write about is so much about New York mm-hmm. and about the, the dynamics of New York, mm-hmm. and they told me like, oh no, no, here's exactly the same. Oh yeah, it's I like here. It. There's like this like really annoying like uh, I don't know a curator who's really hierarchical and, and really pretentious and like in in other words, yeah, um, the dynamics of uh, the social and professional dynamics of art, as in almost anything else, mm-hmm. I really know the difference. Well, I think of it as a very global community, and at the uh, top, at the highest level of the art world, it's really just. I mean, I see it as a social group of people traveling from country to. I actually see it as a, a social group of people traveling from country to country, almost on shopping and travel tours. You know, like, so, I mean, that's very cynical, but it is, you know, all the biennials all over the world. And yeah, it's, it's, it's the, always the, luxury. It always well, the, feels like luxury, a the, luxury. The commerce, uh, parts of the art world, of course, is like the most evident. Right. In, in like the art, uh-huh. the art first is like the most clear, right? And, um, uh-huh. but we also share this universal language of conceptual art. You Absolutely. Know? So, so like everybody knows Duchamp. Everybody knows like yeah. I guess that's like true every, too. I mean, so there's there's this the kind of common of language, you know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, that yeah. that we also share, and like where I think references that I was making to these things make sense mm-hmm. here or mm-hmm. like in the other part of the world, mm-hmm. you know. Which you probably also understand well from the trip that you went on. Yeah, so that's and that that's the other thing that I learned from that Pan American project that you know we are in a sense a republic of contemporary art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, so that, that I was I noticed that what I was doing, I was connecting with people who the, the people who wanted to connect with me uh, primarily were those who wanted to connect with this, were hoping to connect with this art. Um, Conversation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not not in a not in a like a commercial way, yeah, first, right. but more like sh- connecting with other artists, right, with right, ideas that, right. That like matter. you can always um, go somewhere, and like right now, I'm thinking about going to Togo because I know so I've gotten in touch with somebody who's doing a performance festival there. You know, like you, artists are everywhere. It's a it's a religion, like in a way. Yeah, exactly. It's it's shared. Um, Set of, of, of ideals and, yeah. and thoughts about what about the power of art. Right? Yeah, and and it's idealistic, and it's, there's an idealism in it too. Yes, and 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 um, 
And then I was able to notice, too, how the, their concerns really were very similar, whether you were in, like, Mexicali, in, like, the north of Mexico, or you were in Guatemala City, or you were in El Salvador, or there were concerns about being off-center and how mm -hmm. the center sees you, mm -hmm. um, about how what is your role in telling the story of the place where you're from, Mm -hmm. And and how do you contend with that hist with the, with the with like the the evils of history around you, whether it's civil wars or right. or violence right. or right. and how do you deal with that, or do you do you try to create an alternative world where that for, to help people escape from that? Right, right, you know? right, right. Uh, so yeah. th those were really important debates that yeah. that. Interestingly, we're, we're way more interesting to me in places like Central America and South America than in the United States. Mm -hmm. Because here, what I was encountering when I did the project was like a lot of comfort. You know, people will show up with uh, their, people will show up very comfortable with their, mm -hmm. you know, cup of coffee and hang out and talk about the Americas in this kind of like mm -hmm. romantic way. But in El Salvador, we're talking about the Civil War. That and people losing their families to, uh, to, to the violence of the civil war. Wow. And people who meet being an artist amidst that. that yeah. Reality. Wow. So Think that, about that, that. So that stuff is like completely different. Completely than, than, different. Than when you are like in a, in a kind of like with your MFA. In, in a nice, yeah. like in an MFA program with yeah. your Starbucks talking about the Americas. Yeah. You know? Well, that, that is stuff that, that is so good to like recognize and we we need to think more more about that kind of stuff how you, if you're going to make art you're going to make art um but you know we only have like 10 minutes left and i wanted to talk about um your you know your projects that you're working on and and um but i just wanted to hear about your brother's influence on you because i imagine that he like all that philosophy and all that thinking and all that as a young person, like that must have really put you in a much, I can't imagine how that affected you. And I just wanted to, well, yeah, to what, hear about what, that. Um, yeah, it's a long topic, but what I can say is that, so my brother was a, um, um, he was a phenomenologist. He was very interested in this, in, in this branch of philosophy, which is phenomenology, which is the, the understanding the nature of something, you know, mm. And hermeneutics, how will you communicate that? Mm -hmm. That completely became my, the leitmotif of my life as an artist. For, first because I became, I, by accident became an art educator, mm -hmm. which is a, it's an, it's a discipline that does just that. Understand an artwork, understand what it means, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and help others understand that. Mm -hmm. But then it, it became part of my practice as an artist because I realized the world, requires that of you, you know, like you need to go out there and try to understand something. Hmm. And to me, the Pan-American project was that, you know, going out there and trying to understand, like, mm -hmm. you don't, not from distance, but you just need to drive to Guatemala and be there to understand mm -hmm. what it means, mm -hmm. you know? So he really, and, what he kind of did was open up your curiosity it, it in gave, an infinite he me, way. He gave almost. me a, uh, a path for an artistic method. Mm -hmm. and and uh, of research and communication mm. and uh and he gave to me language which is incredibly important to me like stories yeah. are incredibly important to me so everything that i do involves research mm -hmm. involves trying to understand a problem 
and then a method to talk about it, mm. whether through mm. a story or, mm -hmm. or something else. And the, this, this current column that I created two years ago mm -hmm. um, is kind of like, for the first mm -hmm. time, I tried to open up this process to, to people. Yeah, t tell us about that. What's the name? I'm trying, try what's the name of it? So the, I have this, I, I joined Substack, mm -hmm. which is this open platform, which is essentially like a blogging platform. Mm -hmm. Wait. Like you guys know what it's that a free. Is. It's a free. They know what that it's, is. It's a free blog. Yeah, we're right? we're we're all inundated with them. Yep. Yes. Now everybody has one. Right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Not as many as podcasts like this, but yeah, <laughs> or, I know. well, radio show. But but whatever. It's, yeah. No. Okay. But this, it. okay. Like, it, that was that was to me the platform that I felt I needed to use. Um, so it's titled "Beautiful Eccentrics," mm -hmm. and every week I write about something that's in my mind. Mm -hmm. That that I feel is not something that's being discussed by the general art press. In other words, it's not something that is either a review of a show, or it's not talking about auction auction prices or gossip about mm -hmm. direct museum director salaries or stuff mm -hmm. like that. That's not interesting to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in more deeper questions mm -hmm. about art. Can you give us a couple of? I mean, that sounds that sounds awesome. Awesome and necessary and not done enough. So can you give us an idea? Of so this, this, this week I wrote about our works that have multiple, that I call them blank screens. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a story about how there's artworks that we see and we can interpret whatever we like from them and it mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. That there's like whatever you, whatever you read in it, it makes sense. So like an abstract painting? But not always. Uh -huh. But I mean, it does, there's artworks that they just like, can mean anything to anybody, and it's it, they have this ability to constantly re-signify. It's like a, the holy grail of art making. Like you make something that means something different to everybody, and that it's interesting. So I wrote about that. Um, let's say last last week I wrote about uh, tiny art. Oh, <laughs> uh, like really small <laughs> things. About a little project, like a working in miniature. Working, yeah. Yeah, um, I've. I, I, I wrote an art, sometimes I write more provocative, uh, articles. I wrote an article making critical of this phrase by just a voice. Everyone is an artist. Which ah. I think it's bullshit uh, because I don't think everybody's an artist. I think that it's, it's a, a disservice to the profession. I, it's not that nobody can be creative. Everybody can be creative, but, but. You, you can, no, not everybody's a brain surgeon. Nobody's. Right. You mean, you mean not everybody has a practice of an artist. Everybody's creative, which is different than being an artist. I, I wanted, I wanted to like mm -hmm. put in question this whole idea that, that everybody, that art is everywhere and it's done by everybody, mm -hmm. you know, because that's mm -hmm. not true, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, and when you, when, and, and to say that also make, does not help you to understand anything, mm -hmm. whether the good or the bad arts, you know, like, right. And it's, but it's yet something that's continually used in this kind of democratizing effort to appreciate art, which is very noble, but it's very misguided because then it shows that that maybe then art has no criteria. <laughs> right, 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 so right, like, you, right, any right. Shitty art, and then it's like it should be as fantastic as as like the best art in the world, right? Like why why even bother making good art since everything is fantastic? But how can you how can you you know like quality? It, it is very subjective. I mean, it, it is a it is kind of a squishy thing. Well, but but you know it's. But I know what you mean. Well, I mean, it, I can I can just throw like a few notes on the piano right now, and then. You know, I think, I'm sure it's not going to be a masterpiece. Mm 
Right. Well, there's like a, an intention and a discipline and a commitment to making, to doing anything well. Well, why do we spend our entire lives trying to make art well? You know, since like there's no criteria by which to make it well. Right. So uh, anyway, th this phrase has always bothered me because it kind of like tries to minimize all those, mm -hmm. the art practice itself. Mm -hmm. So I, I, everything is a, that I write is a provocation. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, not an attempt to say this is the truth, mm -hmm. but it's trying to chip away at the assumptions that we have right. about art or other things. You know? So it sounds like a lot of um, what you're really um, doing, or or is, which is a real gift, I think, is that you are really trying to get people to think. Like you don't necessarily. I think you've got. Uh, you know, a um, set of ethics, a very strong. Uh, value, you know, set of ethics, but I don't think you necessarily have a particular, maybe a particular agenda. You want people to think, is that, is that yeah, the I don't, question? I don't have a, is I, that right? I don't believe in ideologies. Like, I mean, I don't feel like I'm trying to convert anybody to anything. You're not trying to teach <laughs> anybody. I, to I, I, I am trying to understand the world in uh -huh. the same way that we all are trying, uh -huh. right? And, and I find it interesting. And so I, your art is sort of like making up is sort of questioning. Your art is really about questioning in a way. Yeah, I mean, although of course that's not cliche of like I'm just asking questions, which is like a, no, like a no, cop out. You no, know? but you're not but, asking questions. You're creating. You're creating dialogue. I when I'm trying to direct attention to problems that I see, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that I find interesting. I say like, mm -hmm. let's look at this right now, and maybe give it a little bit of scientific thought of like, what does it mean? How can we see this problem in different angles? And as Howard Gardner once said, the psychologist, he said, you know, maybe the, the best outcome of the research is to ask a new question. Mm. In other mm. words, like, it's not that we're going to find the solution. You know what? I'm going to stop you there because I want to make sure we get in all the, like, you know, URLs and, and Instagrams and stuff. So tell people where they can get the sub stack. Yes. So the beautiful eccentric sub stack, you, you can either go to a, to the Substack platform and, and search Beautiful Eccentrics, or you can go to Pablo Helguera, it's P-A-B-L-O-H-E-L-G-U-E-R-A dot Substack dot com. And it's a free newsletter. You write your email there, and then you'll get the free weekly um I did it. Yeah. Column, right? And then and <laughs> you can look at the archive too. So you yeah. can you can see what mm -hmm. whatever sounds interesting to you. And and your website, which is like a whole encyclopedia on its own. <laughs> but but let's let's tell it, it it's pablohilguera.net and uh, mm -hmm. and again it, the, the way it's organized is keywords. Mm -hmm. So if you want to you know search like opera Mm -hmm. Or poetry, or Mexico, mm -hmm. or whatever. Like it has a list. It's kind of it. You it. It's pretty navigate navigatable, and it like, and it crosses so many interests. Like you know, like music and 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 cartoons and books, and it's just it's really it's it's amazing. Well, it's it's just like. You